I'm Brother Don Cullen, as I said. Uh, welcome to the midweek service. If you're watching on, on, uh, through the internet, live, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> praise God. So uh, I'm going to start with a scripture. If we could turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me see here. And I'm going to go to verse uh, 10. And in verse 10, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes here, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. So it's interesting, Paul writes here that uh, his companion Demas had forsaken him. And Demas's reason, Paul said, was... He loved this present world. Now, that was a judgment on the part of Paul, wasn't it? Paul made a judgment that Demas loved this present world. So Paul, we know, knew the feeling of the loss of a close fellow worker. And he wrote about how to deal with all different situations that involved separation across the New Testament books. And if you're a Christian in a local church, at some point in your Christian experience, someone you care about, someone you love, will leave the church that you call your church home after having been a member. It could be a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, a co-worker in Christ. And you will probably be in a position to have to decide whether to continue to fellowship with them or not. In other words, to continue to have a close relationship with them. And if you do continue, you need to know on what basis you continue. So I want to share from the Word of God what it says about our relationships so that we might be healthy in a situation like this and so that you would not stumble. Now, I don't mean uh, continue as in continue to be someone's mom or dad or brother or sister or any type of familial relationship. I'm not talking about that. You can continue in those relationships many times without having the same close bond that you had when that person was walking with you at the church. So I'm not talking about that. That's a different subject and a different context. And also, if you're married to someone um, who fits these descriptions we're going to go over tonight, that is, that is your lot, right? And the scriptures provide separate guidance on how you deal with that. And so this is not a message about marital relationships in that situation. It is a message about whether we continue in fellowship with these brothers and sisters in Christ or even in a a role of close associates and friends, or continue on with them simply in a more familial role, perhaps, that we have with them. So we need to apply the wisdom of the Word of God, I believe, to guide us in these relationships. Um, Wisdom is needed, brethren. Wisdom is needed. And we're only going to find the wisdom in the Word of God. Our best source of guidance in all matters is God's Word, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and prayer, Like that trio, that powerful trio. God's word, the Holy Spirit, and prayer. And and also I'm going to throw in tonight a bit of experience. You know, I'm I'm a little gray on on top and a little bald. And I've been around the kingdom for 47 years. And I've been at Living Word Church for 43 years. So I think I've seen a thing or two. And I suspect many of you have as well. And you could be up here sharing your experiences. But I happen to be the guy up here tonight with the microphone on. So you'll hear some of my experiences. And I honestly, to be quite frank, I'm only sharing this experience 
this message with you as, const- as constrained by the Holy Spirit and out of no personal desire to do so. Uh, trust me when I say that, and I have earthly witnesses to that fact, right, Brother Adam and my wife? Uh, the Lord really put this message on my heart, and I could not shake it. I could not get away with it. I worked up another message. I wa- this is not what I wanted to preach, etc. But it's not, a, it's not a big doggy downer message or anything like that. I'm just saying, I didn't want to go here, but the Lord insisted. It floated to the top. There was no escaping it, so here I am. Captive for Jesus. Hallelujah. So believe it or not, this ph- phenomenon uh, of people leaving churches does not happen just here at Living Word Church. I want to shock you by saying that. Right? But at any and every church in America and in the world where one might set down your roots and make relationships in the Lord. It happens everywhere. It's very easy to be myopic. But it's everyone's problem. It's everyone's issue to deal with. You can talk to any pastor, any pastor, who's been a pastor for more than six months, and he will tell you that this is a widespread phenomena in the church. It affects every church. No one is exempt from the experience of people leaving churches. The Barna Group, which studies churches and provides statistics on churches, I'm not going to get into a lot of data on that, but they could give you reams and reams of data, right, Brother Brian? This is a very widespread phenomenon. Now, of course, the first thing to remember is what a local church is. Let's start there. In the New Testament, the word for church is ecclesia, which we all know. I think everybody here who's been here for any length of time knows it means the called out ones assembled together in the original Greek. We are called out and assembled together. Another Christian scholar wrote, he expanded on this a little bit, a local church is a mutually affirming group of new covenant members and kingdom citizens identified by regularly gathering together in Jesus' name through the preaching of the gospel and celebrating the ordinances of baptism and communion. That's pretty neat. That's a little expanded, right? So a local church is a community. It's a mutually affirming group. It's a mutually encouraging group of new covenant believers and kingdom citizens. I like that. People leaving any local assembly, this is the reality of Christianity. And I have experienced it many times over 43 years. And sometimes I forget all the people that I went through with, with this. And frankly, brethren, I'll be honest with you, it always stings. It always creates a sense of loss on the part of those left behind. I have found myself down, surprisingly, as a result of it, sometimes for a surprisingly long period of time. And I know you've experienced it too, haven't you? You know, and those doing the leaving, I'm sure, experience their own brand of hurt as well. Though, as my wife is always quick to point out, they are the ones leaving. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but somehow the burden's back on us. No, that's another, it's another subject. But it's under their control to leave, unless they're thrown out, right? But it's not under our control to be left behind, right? So that's a good point, Sister Sue. Thank you. <laughs> I guess the, but you know something on a bright note, brethren, I guess the feeling of loss is a measure of the love and the bond that you felt in Christ for that person. And you know something? Uh, you know something has changed when they leave, and it will definitely alter the relationship, even if only it's in the frequency of how often you see the person. Even if there was just that, there's a loss there. And it hurts, but it's actually a compliment to these amazing relationships we build in Christ. 
you know, interacting with that person, seeing that brother or sister, maybe they minister to you, maybe just seeing them is an encouragement. You know, if you think about it, the feeling of loss is a credit to the closeness. So I guess I'm looking at it in a glass-is-half-full glass perspective. But it affects me that way. You know, what, you know what my takeaway from a lot of this is lately, brethren? I appreciate all of you that much the more. i got to be honest with you. I've been really appreciating my relationships in Christ even more in the face of losses. And I'm thankful for that. So there's the Lord turning evil to good. Praise God. You know, rarely does someone leave Living Word Church and go to another church and stay put there forever. 43 years I've been watching this, brethren. That's rare too. They will likely face other moves in their journey, and sometimes their journey brings them back here. Praise God. And and we look forward to welcoming them back when they complete their journey. You know, assuming everything is good. And it's funny, just this afternoon I was reading a little Epic Times email that I subscribed to. And uh, it was funny, they always have little quotes in there, and I have a huge quote collection. I, I, I add to my quote collection, even though I rarely quote things to you guys other than the Bible, I add to my quote collection every single day between one and five quotes. So I added this one today. Listen to this. This is from the famous guy Aesop. You know Aesop of Aesop's Fables? Listen to what Aesop said about... 2,500 years ago. He that is discontented in one place will seldom be happy in another. Yeah. Go Aesop. Good job. That's pretty accurate. A little bit of worldly wisdom, but it has some truth to it. And of course, you're, always, you're all familiar, right, with the, fa- the famous, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but you may not be so familiar with the other half of the saying, which is, but it still needs to be mowed. Still needs to be mowed on the other side of the fence. Brother Rob described this phenomenon that we see in Christianity as the Christian carousel. Remember, he said that many times over the years. It's a very apt description. It's like a merry-go-round of, church for, of churches for some. Not everybody, but for some. Now, I personally believe that what the Bible says, that the Lord sets the, member in the members in the body as it pleases him. I take all of that very seriously. I felt the weight of that scripture personally over the years, and I know most of you have too. And I'm thankful to the Lord that he set me in this church back in 1979. Uh, a solid local church, not a perfect church. It couldn't be because people are here. Me too, but with good doctrine, right? And the Holy Spirit gets to move and many good things going for it, including, honestly, brethren, one of our chief assets is all of you. We have wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ of the highest caliber here. I'm telling you, I know a lot of Christians out there and you guys are top shelf. Praise the Lord and I'm thankful for you. We, we talk about that all the time as elders, like, wow, what a group of people we have here. What a blessing. You know, and I've personally been blessed with God setting me here over the years, and I'm excited for the future of our church as well. I'm very excited for the future of our church. And I've also, brethren, I'm going to get into a lot of scriptures tonight, but boy, he's talking a lot, but he hasn't gotten into many scriptures, but believe me, I'm going to hit you with a lot of scriptures in a few moments. I have operated under the principle of... God, if God shouts for you to be somewhere, if God shouts for you to be somewhere, and you've testified to that fact, you don't leave on a whisper. You don't leave on a whisper. If God plants you like a tree, you don't blow like a tumbleweed when the wind comes along. By God's grace, I have stayed here. Even when there have been strong winds for me to leave. And the Lord helped me. And whatever benefit you derive from me being here is because I stayed. And I hope there is some benefit. But it's because I stayed. And therefore there's benefit. I think, I hope, by God's grace, right? What if I wasn't here? Well, somebody else would be standing here. But anyway, I'm here. Praise the Lord. 
So anyway, now, not everyone does spiritually terrible when they leave Living Word Church. Nor does everyone do well by any means. I've been keeping an eye on this over the years. And I would say it, I'm speaking in generalities, it skews towards people not doing all that well. If I was to put a number on it, Brother Don, what number of people do really well when they leave Living Word Church? I would say 20%. That's a good number, 20%. Oh, I'm wrong, it's 15%. Oh, I'm wrong, it's 30%. It's not 50, 60, 70%. It's not 50, 60, 70%. No, sorry. (laughs) And I'm not talking about a week later. Oh, a week later, they're still doing good. A month later, they're still doing good. Oh, it's been a year, They're they're still saved. I'm talking about five years, 10 years, you know, over the long run. And the reason why the statistics are not that great is because the range of people leaving here is everything from people outright backsliding and going out into the world, right? So they're in the mix. Other people compromise on their faith. And then some people do great in another church, and they're serving the Lord, and they're being a blessing to their church, and that's a credit to Living Word Church, too. People, pastors will tell us in this community, this person is here from your church, and they're a real asset. That's a compliment. Praise God. That's a compliment to those people, too, because they did the right things. Okay, so some, some do okay or good or great. Many do not. How each person does will be a function of their decisions in Christ, what choices they make. But whether at Living Word Church or another church, you're going to see people come and go. That's the nature of it. It's the reality of Christianity. And perhaps this problem is amplified. It could be amplified by the fact that we're living in the end times. Jesus said, the love of many will wax cold. Paul said that there would be a great falling away before Jesus' return. And Jesus actually questioned whether he would find faith on the earth when he gets here. So tonight I'm going to provide some scriptural guidance to all of us. And this is not a message aimed in any sense at those who left our fellowship recently or 20 years ago. Because they're not here to hear it anyway. So this is for you. This is for all of you. When I was praying just tonight, I, the harder the message, the more I pray. So as I was praying tonight, the Lord had told me something earlier in the week, and I had forgotten about it. And he told me again tonight as I prayed, inoculate the sheep. Inoculate the sheep. Okay, okay, I'm going to inoculate the sheep. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm going to do it, Lord. So let's go through the Word of God and see how the Word of God guides us. Okay. So let me say another statement before I get into a whole bunch of scriptures. Not everyone who leaves Living Word Church should be avoided, nor that all friendships should be broken off and discontinued. And now I'll shock some of you of the other extreme perspective. Not everyone who leaves Living Word Church should be embraced and followed, (laughs) nor should friendships continue in every case. That's what I'm going to lay out for you tonight. What is the scriptural criteria for continuing the relationship with folks? It's too simplistic at either extreme. Oh, no, they left Living Word Church. They're, they're, that's right, they're gone. They're gone forever. They're terrible. They're, they're, you know. No, that's wrong. Nor is, oh, they left Living Oh, they're just, I'm just going to continue everything as it was before in every situation. No, that's not the way it works. Not according to the scriptures. So let's take the first scripture. Let's go uh, before that. Two little things. Paul wrote to Titus, whereas for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. I'm speaking the things tonight to you that are proper for sound doctrine in Titus 2.2. David wrote, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm just reminding everybody, we're going through the word of God. So let's go to the first scripture. You guys know it really, really well. 2 Corinthians 6.14. This is one of our favorite scriptures here at Living Word Church. It's guided a lot of our decisions. It's only one of many scriptures that I'm going to cover tonight. 
And I hope you can take notes and uh, apply these principles in your life. These principles are, in, are, are on my heart. I use these principles automatically, honestly, from years of experience. And it's instinctive now. The Word of God is instinctive in these areas. Okay, so first of all, 2 Corinthians 6.14. We all know this one. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of, of, of the living God. And then verse 17 says, Therefore come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, this relates to the unbeliever. I believe this also relates to those who backslide from the Lord. And it is clear that they are no longer living as believers. They've, be, they've, they've, uh, they've uh, uh, denied, basically, Christ, and they've gone fully back into the world. They embrace sin in a different way of living. And certainly we should not be in league with them. This is the most simple one I'm going to cover tonight. So let's tr- we, share the, we should share the word of God with them. We should share the gospel. We should be friendly to them. We should love them in our interactions. We should try to win them back to Christ. Reach out to them. Preach to them. Reach them. Preach them. <laughs> try to guide them back into the right way. That's basic Christianity with those who are lost. So that's the first one. Let's go to another scripture. James 5.19. And again, this is only a segment. I'm, I'm trying to cover the whole range here. This is, on, this is way out in one side of the range. This is a person who has flat out gone backslidden. Or the same rule for an unbeliever. James 5.19. In, in James it says here, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders, wanders from the truth and, turns, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I like that. You will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. From death. So yes, reach out to the backslider. Someone who wanders from the truth. Like a sheepdog. Let God use you in that relationship to turn them back. Don't be in partnership with that person. No way. Don't be equally yoked with that person. No way. Reach out and try to turn that brother or sister back to the right way. Definitely do that. So that's pretty straightforward. Now, so that's one end of the, of the axis. Let's move up, let's move up a, a little bit on the axis. Let's go to the next situation. 1 Corinthians 5.9. This is where we're going to get into more discernment. 1 Corinthians 5.9. Please. One notch up on the axis. Paul writes, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who also, judging those also who are outside? Paul writes here, do you not judge those who are inside? 
But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So here, one step up on the axis, is someone is naming the name of Christ, but continuing in sin. Whether they're in church even, they could still be in church through hypocrisy or outside the church. Paul was very clear to tell us not to associate with that person, not to break bread with that person. It harms the name of Christ to associate with that person. Paul says do not even eat with them. Don't be seen with them. Breaking bread in Scripture is always a sign of close personal fellowship and spiritual intimacy. Could this Scripture be more clear? And even though Paul originates this whole section with a specific sexual sin, here he makes sure to broaden the definition of sin to include what I call a sampler pack of sin, to give us the idea of all different kinds. This is a sin sampler pack. He covers a whole range here. Look what he says. He says sexually immoral, okay? Covetous, extortioners, idolaters, or a reviler or a drunkard. See how broad that is? All different works of the flesh. Paul puts all of those things as equally sinful. He could have added more. By the way, reviler means in the scriptures to use scornful or abusive language, to speak scornfully. You know, that could cover a lot of turf from husbands who are verbally abusive to their wives or wives that are verbally abusive to their husbands, right? Or people that are verbally abusive of the church or that they left or the members or the pastors. And I'm going to talk a bit about the sins of the tongue in a moment because it's actually one of the most common sins in the Bible, if not the most common sin in the Bible, is the sins of our tongues. But yes, harsh use of the tongue to abuse or to put down and mock. Now, it's interesting. Paul says, For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? You know, one of the most twisted and misused scriptures in the world today, what is it, brethren? You all know it. Judge not. They don't even bother to complete the sentence many times. Oh, the Bible says, judge not. Even, and, and if they're really knowledgeable, they'll say, judge not lest ye be judged, if they're really knowledgeable, like they're knowledgeable backsliders. Anyway, um, But actually, the Bible tells us over and over again to judge, right? The Bible says Christians are called to judge matters in the church. Pastors are called to do that right down to the members. Jesus said to judge, he commanded us to judge righteous judgment. It's actually a command to judge, but to do so without a beam in our eyes. The scriptural guidance is found in that passage. We're called to judge the matters that we see before our eyes. We are to judge matters. Paul actually writes that that it is better that any contentious case in the church be handled by the least person in the church rather than take it to the courts. That's what the Bible says. So find the most humble, simple brother or sister in the church. It's better that they judge the case using what they know of the Word of God than to take it to the courts. That's how much we're supposed to judge. The Bible says we're going to judge angels and we're going to judge the nations with Christ. We're called to judge and discern matters. And this is our training ground right on this earth, brethren. In the millennial period, we're going to be reigning and ruling with Christ. And we're sharpening our tools right now. Do you know that? Hallelujah. If there's a pattern of sin, Paul tells the Christians at Corinth to deal with it. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. That's, the, that's Paul's choice of words. That's the Holy Spirit's choice of words. People can leave for many reasons, sometimes due to backsliding back into a life of sin. And sometimes the profession of faith continues despite the actions telling us differently. 
Don't worry, I'm going to go through the whole range here. I'm not saying everyone that leaves is in either of these categories. I'm covering the range with you, brethren. Jesus told us to judge righteous judgment. It also says in the Word of God, judgment begins with the house of God. It begins with us. We're called to judge matters and sort through situations, but to do so righteously, guided by the Word of God and the Spirit of God and and the love of God and the love of each other. Hallelujah. Not by emotions, feelings, and uh, affections and family relationships alone. Not just by positive feelings. If we desire to have an ongoing relationship with someone who leaves the local fellowship, we need to determine where they are at. We need to determine where they are at. And frankly, we need to determine where we are at. I'm going to show you that in a moment. That's part of your responsibility as well. Where are you at? You need to figure out your own heart to see if you can continue that relationship. Or are you going to put yourself into jeopardy in doing so? That's the next scripture I'm going to cover with you. Evaluating yourself is going to be an important part of the process. We're going to see that in a moment. So scenario one, the clearly backslidden person. Scenario two, the person claiming to be a Christian, but whose actions say otherwise. How often do we see that in the world today? Claiming to be a Christian, but the actions are completely contrary to living the Christian life across the range of what we described. Now, let's go to the next scripture. 2 Timothy 2.14. 2 Timothy 2.14. Hope I'm not going too fast for you. I'm obeying this scripture right here. 2 Timothy 2.14. Remind them of these things. Charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In the King James, the word canker is used. The New King James, which I just read from, uses the word cancer. The actual word in the Greek is the word gangrena which is actually spelled out very similar to the word gangrene. It is the word that we get gangrene from. The meaning in the Greek is a gangrene, not cancer, a gangrene, a disease by which any part of the body suffering from inflammation or infection becomes so corrupted that unless a remedy be seasonably applied, the evil continually spreads, attacks other parts, and at last eats away the bones. That's what Paul said. That's what the word canker means. It's, it's the word for gangrene. He uses Hymenaeus and Philetus as examples of this sort. But he was not saying that they were the only ones in the history of the church that were gangrenous. They were of this sort, he says. 
And it's not just a false doctrine can be gangrenous, but a mocking spirit or a questioning and doubtful spirit or one who spreads discord amongst brethren. Have you ever met someone in the body of Christ whose words are like gangrene? One of the attributes attributes of gangrene is it stinks to high heaven. Rotting flesh. You even see that in the movies. Like in the Civil War movies, they'll walk into the tent and it'll be like, ugh, the guy will put something over his nose. There's so much gangrene going on. You know, there's behavior in the body of Christ which is sweet-smelling. We saw some of the sweet-smelling behavior in the body of Christ tonight. Worship, all of you worshiping, the worship team worshiping. And there's behavior in the body of Christ that's like gangrene. It stinks to high heaven, and it makes people sick. Now, hopefully, brethren, you don't have spiritual COVID, because if you have spiritual COVID, you won't be able to smell it, right? You won't be able to smell the sweet or the stinky. Now, according to Johns Hopkins, this is Johns Hopkins, you know, the medical center. Brother Ben could talk about gangrene a lot better than I ever could, but anyway, it's the best. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> I'm, not a do- I'm, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV. Thank you. Uh, Gangrene happens when blood supply to certain tissues is stopped. This can happen due to an infection, an injury, such as a burn or combat wound, or a chronic disease. Do you hear that? Gangrene happens when the blood flow stops to that part of the body due to infection, injury, or disease. Well, I'm talking about spiritually. So the cure, I think, for gangrene in the body of Christ is the blood of Jesus. We need need to cover these hurts and these injuries that people take with the blood of Jesus. They need to forgive and they need to be forgiven and, and that's what cures things. The cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, that's what heals gangrenous parts. That's what John Hopkins says. Blood flow. Blood flow. We say, you know, what will cover my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, another characteristic of gangrene is that it spreads. It creeps up the limb that's affected until it kills the body. You know, I, I watch, uh, I study a lot of history, and I know I looked on this John Hopkins site, there's a lot of ways they treat gangrene now, but one of the ways that remains, that was the way in the, way in the days of Paul, and in the Civil War days, and in World War I and World War II, was amputation. Amputation is still one of the, the choices when you have gangrene. It's probably the longest standing cure for gangrene when a party is, take, you take the limb off. Brother Ben saying yes. It's not, these days there's five or six things, but ultimately it may have to be amputation. Paul warns that this kind of striving is like gangrene. It does not edify, it does not build, it does not not help you to be a healthy Christian. If I have a gangrene limb, I'm not going to be a healthy Christian. If the church has a gangrene limb, it's not going to be a healthy church. The Bible says it overthrows the faith of some. So let me ask you this question. We're evaluating the relationships. Should we continue them or not? Is that interaction with that person helping you grow in Christ or is it making you ill? Are you doing better because of your relationship with that person or is a gangrenous condition spreading? Is it creeping? Is it making you less productive and putting you in danger? It's a good question. Paul says, look to yourself. Save yourself by cutting off that which brings gangrene if it's a gangrenous relationship. They aren't all, but they could be. We're moving up the pike here. And it's dealt with by amputation. If the relationship has a possibility of spreading gangrene to your walk in Jesus, either get the blood of Jesus flowing to that situation, or as Paul is saying, you got to cut it off. Now, here's some good advice from God's Word. Remember, we're working our way up the pike, and the one we just looked at a moment ago was the person names the name of Christ, 
but their actions don't show that. Let's look at verse 19 where we are. I love this verse. I use this verse all the time. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Regardless of what the people are saying, nevertheless, the the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. People can say whatever they want, but the Lord knows those who are his. And look at the second part of this. If you're saying you're a member of Jesus' body, or you're a Christian, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Isn't that neat? God knows those who are his, and if we're Christians, what did Jesus said? If you love me, keep my commandments. What did he say to the woman found in sin? Go and sin no more. That's basic Christianity. God knows those who are his. It's not just what we says. What we say, what we says, it's what he says. Amen? And if we are saying we are his, we fall, we stumble. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm talking about patterns. You know, continuous sin. Walking in sin. So if we name the name of Christ, let's live a new life in him. Depart from sin. You know, I, say, I, I heard a preacher say, the Bible talks more about the sins of our mouth than any other sins, if not all other sins. And I think that's definitely true. It's one of the reasons that the book of James says that if a Christian is a mature Christian, the mark of the mature Christian is what? They will have control over their tongue. That's the mark of a mature Christian, control over their tongue. In other words, God warns us more about our tongue than most other things. He warns us about gossiping, backbiting, railing, division, lying, strife, sowing discord amongst believers, tail-bearing. Hundreds of scriptures on this subject. Hundreds! God actually hates those kinds of actions. I'm, 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 you know, it's easy to go, it's easy to point at, oh, they're partying. Oh, they're in fornication. Oh, he stole from his job. It's easy to point at those things. But the, the most common sin the Bible talks about is the tongue. Proverbs 6, and God hates the misuse of the tongue. Proverbs 6, let's go there. I'm just throwing this. You're, you're evaluating the situation. Can I continue with this person? Well, what are their tongues saying? What are they saying with their mouths? We're trying to create a good basis where we can have a relationship with these people, with these brethren, okay? But you have to go through this checklist. You have to make sure that you're not going to get gangrene and and that they're using their tongues appropriately. Proverbs 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Yeah, pride's bad. That's the worst. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Three out of seven are from the mouth. That's over 40%. God hates them because they know they threaten the body of Christ that he loves. Remember, brethren, the purpose of this word is to equip you on how to discern relationships, to create the basis for the relationship. I want you to have relationships. I have many relationships with Christians outside of Living Word Church, but these are the tests that I use in my relationships with them. Once again, words will tell us a lot. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Are they still naming the name of Christ? Okay, then. Let their actions be consistent with that. Let all of our actions be consistent with that. Sins of the body, sins of the soul, sins of the tongue. What did Jesus say about the matter? I'll just read it to you. Matthew 12, 35. 
You know the scripture, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Is good treasure being brought forth or evil? Judge the words, judge the motives based on what is said and what the word of God says. Isn't that good counsel from the word of God? Could the word of God be plainer on this subject? Are the words true? Are they pure? Are they good? Are they consistent with the profession? If, if yes, if yes, great. You've gone through the next chest. You have a basis for a relationship with them as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's good. Now, let's go to the next scenario, up the pike. Let's say they appear to have good motives and their words are largely sound and they continue to serve the Lord elsewhere. They're not perfect. Hey, who is? But maybe they're weak in some ways. Okay, so these are saved people. They're professing Jesus. They're showing fruits of living Jesus. But occasionally they bring up things that may stumble you, that are dangerous to you. Let's, let's look at a scripture that talks about that. Let's go to Galatians 6.6. 6. Okay, so now we're getting into the, safe, the safer territory. They're passing the tests. They're naming the name of Christ. They're departing from iniquity. They're attaching themselves to a body. They're getting involved. Great. The Lord spends a lot of time in the scriptures like this because he wants us to be safe. He wants us to be protected. Amen? I could hear a pin drop, as Brother Bob used to say. Galatians 6.6. 6. This, is a, this is a good one here. This is a tough one. Galatians 6.6. 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. You know, it's part of Christianity is to help each other. By bearing each other's burdens. This is a central part of Christianity. But the Bible sets parameters on your helping others. It does it right here. You are not to help someone at any cost. You are not to be a lifesaver running into a burning building unless you are spiritually mature and sure you're going to come out. Are you spiritually mature? Can you be gentle with that person who is overtaken in a fault? Do you potentially expose yourself to a fall in helping that person? Then don't do that. Bear another one's burdens, but keep in mind that person must ultimately bear their own. Of course you want to help a person in Christ, a friend of yours, who's stumbling. But only do do so to the degree that you can help them. Or I can help them. Lifeguards, you're going to relate to this. I was a lifeguard once, believe it or not. And I went through one of the most intense lifeguarding courses ever known to man because my instructor... Uh, chose to add some very difficult things to the curriculum that were not part of the Red Cross curriculum. I was a 16-year-old kid. I was a good-sized kid. But he made the training into like a Navy SEAL thing, uh, from what I could tell. I know it really wasn't. But to a 16-year-old kid, it was. Uh, Brother Fred Smith probably does things like this when he was teaching it. I'm not sure. Anyway, my instructor's name was John Steinbrenner. And he ran our course every day. I was at a summer camp every day for nine weeks. One hour in the morning. First thing in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, we're in the freezing cold Adirondack Lake. 
And uh, that was always great. And uh, some of the things he did would not even be allowed in our society today. He had his own tests, like I said, that he added on. So one of his tests that he added on was sometime during the nine-week training, John Steinbrenner was Brother Brian's size, but he was a phys ed instructor, probably in his 40s, good-sized man. And sometime during the uh, instructor period, he would jump off the dock unbeknownst to you, he would, he would basically grab you, he'd wrap his arms around you and his legs around you, and he would drown you. Because he wanted you to experience the feeling of someone dying. And that's what he would do. So there was another guy who were larger than the rest of the guys, so he, he saved that till the very... I had to wait, I had to have the runs, if you understand what I mean, for like two or three weeks, because he kept... He was saving the biggest guys for last. So he got me on like the second to last day of class, and he jumped on top of me, unbeknownst to me. He wrapped his arms and his legs around me. He held me under until I was desperate for breath. Then he started to let me up, and I remember to this day, my eyes were just clearing the water, and i have been down already for what seemed like a long period of time, probably 20 seconds, but as my eyes cleared the water, I blew out my breath so that I might be able to take a new breath in. And I discovered what the remaining one quart in your lungs looks like when he held me back down again for like what was a minute. And then finally he let me up sputtering and everything like that. So anyway, he nearly drowned me, right? So spiritually, we're not supposed to be putting ourselves in a situation like that. So if you're a uh, 95-pound lifeguard and there's a 250-pound guy drowning in the water, you might not want to go up and try to do the grab his wrist, cross your chest, pull, go into a side stroke thing. You might want to stay 10 feet away from him and throw him a ring or use a reach pole, right? Am I talking lifeguard here? (laughs) So this advice from the Word of God is along those lines, right? We're not supposed to put ourselves in a position in helping another where we're going to ourselves stumble. That's what we have to be careful about. So this person is walking with the Lord, but the things they are saying could stumble you. Now, I'm not saying the person who leaves in the course of their leaving is committing a trespass, but God knows there's often something going on with that person that brings them to that point of discontent. And are you, do you want to get sucked into the vortex of their trial? Do you want to get sucked into the vortex of their trial? So get involved with the caveat, with the qualifier, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. You know, friends are friends often because you have similar experiences, similar backgrounds, similar feelings. You're from the same generation often. And you're a product of that generation with many of the same particular temptations of that generation. Like my generation has certain temptations. Baby boomers have a temptation in Christ of being all about making money, getting to that comfort zone of retirement zone, and life is good. That's a temptation to the baby boomers. That's the experience we grew up in, the potential of that. But every generation has its own trials. And, and the fact that you're from that generation means you're probably going to be apt, because of that common background, to fall for that same temptation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. So anyway, one more verse. Let's go to Romans 14, please. Now, let's assume... This person is not going to be a temptation to you and cause you to stumble because you have the same weaknesses that they have. Let's get past that one. So we pass that one. Now, let's go up to this one. This is a good one. I use this a lot with Christians from other places. It says in Romans 14, verse 1, 
Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? In these matters, okay? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. You know, at Living Word Church, we have some biblically sound standards that we live out in our daily conduct, and we have always been encouraged here to do so in Christ. And chances are our standards are often higher than standards that you encounter out in the Christian community generally. And I don't mean that from a prideful sense. I just mean we've been well taught here. Uh, When I run into Christians that have different standards, honestly, it doesn't even cross my mind anymore. Like, what are they doing? It crosses my mind is they have not been taught. That's what, that's what crosses my mind. So I don't, I don't, you know, they have shorts and tattoos and hands, hats backwards. Honestly, the fo- they really haven't been taught. I really give them a lot of grace because of that. They haven't been taught. But we've been taught here. You know? But I've also met Christians out in the community that have really high standards. And I would say higher than our general standards even here. How could that be? I'm just telling you. I've met people like that. God bless them. They're wonderful Christians. So let's, let's assume, brethren, you're on a solid moral standing and lifestyle, and, you, and let's call it the high ground. Receive other people, but not to, not to disputes over doubtful things. If they want to talk all the time about doubtful things, about, you know, trying to impress upon you their drinking standards and their dress standards, and you should get a tattoo, and all those other things, I only receive them up to the point of disputes over doubtful things. And I throw into this list, by the way, you can throw into the list these days, COVID, vaccinations, politics, all these, bleh, all these things that are the current meat and drink in the Christian churches today. You know, certainly, I mean, bear their burdens, reach out to people and fellowship with them, but not to go into uh, doubtful disputes, into contentions. You know, my friends outside of Living Word Church, whether they originated here or they're Christians that I've met elsewhere, I apply these principles to my relationships with all of them. Like I said, probably between at least 15 to 20 people that like that. But I don't open myself up to doubtful disputations. I consider it, lest I also consider the issues, lest I be tempted. And I'm going to receive the person who is weak in the faith. I'm going to encourage them. And hopefully they'll encourage me, but not to doubtful disputations. Keep the, the conversation in these situations on solid ground in Jesus. Keep the conversation on the things that we can agree with, you know? Jesus is good. Salvation. Isn't the Bible great? Let's read the Bible together. Love them. Be an example to them. Know where they're at and know where you're at. Amen? Okay. Um, let's go to one more scripture, sorry. One more scripture, and I'll finish with this one. Romans sixteen seven seventeen. I preached a whole sermon on this scripture many years ago. 20 years ago, probably. One of the few times I preached back then. The Lord really put this on my heart. Romans 16, 17. These are all, you can go through these scriptures yourself. Apply them to your situations. Think through them. Talk about them with each other. Rightly divide the word of God. Romans 16, 7. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who do such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. 
Paul says here, mark those or note those who cause divisions and offenses or stumbling, which is not what we've learned, and avoid them. There is a point, brethren, where we sometimes have to avoid people who cause divisions and offenses. Again, you can continue with your familial relationships at that level, but you have to be careful for the sake of your own soul what you expose yourselves to. And I say that out of love. And my definition of love from studying the scriptures, the one that resonates with me and sticks with me over the years, is I care about the outcome for the person. I want the best outcome for the person here on earth and in eternity. That's my definition of love. When I look at someone, I go, I'm telling you this because I want the best thing for you here and in heaven. That's my heart. That's where I'm coming from. So I say that out of that. Now let me read the scripture to you. This is the only time you're going to hear me quote from the Message Bible. But just in case you think that was too harsh what I just said to you, let me read to you from the most watered-down version of the Bible that I can think of. The Message Bible. Okay? Let me read this to you. Here's what it says. It's good. It's actually good. One final word of counsel, friends. Keep a sharp eye out for those who take bits and pieces of the teaching that you learned and then use them to make trouble. Give these people a wide berth. They have no intention of living for our Master Christ. They're only in this for what they can get out of it and aren't above using pious, sweet talk to dupe unsuspecting innocence. Oh, that's not bad for the old message. That's not bad. Maybe it's the only time I may quote them, so I'm glad I picked a good one. So let, don't let pious-sounding sweet talk dupe unsuspecting innocence, which I hope you're not. So anyway, there's a time and a place to avoid people, and that is again in the area of the tongue. Be careful around those who wield the tongue to sow discord and division. Why? God hates that. Now I could go further up the axis tonight, and I'm not going to, and get into those who leave, who want to create a following after themselves, and I, could, and I could get into those who leave, who are false teachers, but that's enough for tonight. Let's use the Word of God as our basis for relationships in the church, and outside the church, and, and to conduct all of our daily lives in this world. Study these scriptures, apply them. I believe there's a lot of wisdom and safety in this. If you do, now, look at if you, if you don't if you don't have the ears to hear, like Jesus said, you're gonna, you might as well stick your fingers in your ears and go, la, 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 la. But if, you, if, and that's why Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. If you don't have ears to hear, and you're gonna say, yeah, he went over a lot of scripture, but I don't want to, la, 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 la then just do that. Just do that. But I, I don't think that's my, my audience. I think my audience has, for the most part, a heart to hear the word of God and apply it in our lives. Amen? And brethren, one more thing. If you have situations that you, you're trying to sort through, again, my hope is you can continue all of your relationships after they've met these tests from the word of God. But if you have situations that perplex you, you know, there are older brethren in Christ here, the pastors, your elders, uh, there's deacons who can help you with the word of God and sort through these things that have a lot of experience. So don't be afraid to come and talk to us. And we'll try to help you, guide you through these decisions, which we know are not easy. Okay? So I know that was a heavy word. Because I knew it was a heavy word even before I preached it. So I'm just going to... Finish now, brethren, okay? And say a prayer and, and send you guys on your way. All right? So, th- Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that it's a light to our feet, O oh God. And I thank you so much for the counsel it gives us. Lord, help us to be discerning in what we 
say and in our relationships with you, Lord. We know it's for our own well-being. Father, just give us the wisdom from your word and give us the close relationships that we desire in Christ. But let us be wise as serpents, Lord, and gentle as doves in our daily conduct, O God. Guide us in, in all our ways, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Bless my brethren and let them have a good week in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention and patience. God bless.